I'm John Chambers, and I want to welcome everyone to Chambers Talks, my LinkedIn podcast. We've often talked in these discussions about tech disruptions and where you're in an environment you either disrupt or you're going to get disrupted yourself. Uh, and you compete not against other companies or other organizations, but you compete on getting the market transitions right. Typically, we talk to trends in a tech industry and business with leading executives. Today's going to be a little bit different. We're talking with somebody that I admire as one of the top senators uh, in the U.S. Uh, Congress, uh, Shelley Moore Capita, who I've known for many, many years, and our families have been friends at the parent level for many years mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I think she's done an amazing job both representing the state of West Virginia, but also what's right for our nation and direction. And we'll jump into it shortly. Her husband, uh, Charlie, uh, is personal friends also with our family. Uh, and uh, she was educated uh, at Duke University. And we share that, Shelley, I think as well. Uh, and also your master's at the University of Virginia. You were the daughter of former Governor Archmore. Uh, who was just an amazing man and, a, again, a, a friend of West Virginia. You grew up in uh, Glendale, West Virginia, and you currently reside in Charleston, West Virginia, although you spend most of your time, it sounds like, in the capital. You're a self-described worker bee who just likes to get things done. Right. Uh, you are often pulling things together behind the scenes or sometimes in front of the scenes, like the National Infrastructure Bill, and getting a healthy give and take uh, to focus on really what are the outcomes we want. So I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor. And Senator, is it all right if I call you by your first name during the Please do. Please do, John. We've known each other too long for that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I'm going to start off with just getting people to feel a little bit what mm -hmm. and what you enjoy, what makes you tick. Uh, what, what do you love most about the Mountain State? What is it when you share your views on it that, that excites you? Well, you really hit on it in the introduction when you mentioned that your parents and my parents were friends. They went to West Virginia University uh, right after World War II and remained friends their entire lives. And so we have a friendship. And so I think that West Virginia is just one big small town. We all have some sort of connection to one another, whether it's through our church or our school or our children or our parents or our location. And, and to me, that is very um, uplifting. It's heartwarming and it makes it easy to come home, to be around among friends, because you always feel like you're among friends, no matter where you are in the state. And I think that, uh, and I'm sure this has happened to you, John, as you've traveled, if you're wearing any kind of identifier for West Virginia on a shirt or a hat or something, or luggage, people, somebody's going to stop you and go, oh, I'm from West Virginia. My my grandparents are from West Virginia. And it just has a great um, warm feeling of uh, of community, of support, and also sort of that ruggedness, I think, that West Virginians known for. And so we're sort of tough and, and we like that. Well, you know, it's amazing. I was doing a podcast with the dean of uh, uh, Indiana University School of Business, and we talked about it. And I was sharing with her ahead of time that what I loved about West Virginia and trying to explain it in people, terms people would get is if I ever had my car break down during the middle of the evening, uh, I would hope it'd be in West Virginia because I'd feel very comfortable going up to any door and knocking on it and say, I need help. And she laughed and she said, John, that happened to me. I was driving through Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, I was real late in the evening uh, and the car broke down on a Friday night 
and everything was closing down. And there happened to be one gas station that was just closing down. I asked the person to help me. They not only helped me, they stayed, fixed my car, got me on the road three hours later. So that almost heaven is hard to articulate. But like you, I've never had anybody that I asked to help in making West Virginia a startup state or what we could do with the university, et cetera, who hasn't said yes. How would you explain almost heaven? You kind of hit on it, but how do we make our our listeners understand what is so unique about the state? Well, what I think we have is, well, first of all, as you know, we undersell ourselves. I mean, we we have a little bit of everything. Uh, We have great communities. We have beautiful outdoors. We have outdoor recreation. We have um, a a uh, a safe environment. Uh, our schools are, um, you know, my husband and I raised our children here in the Kanawha Valley. All, all three of them went going to the public schools and have done well as adults. So, I mean, you have a good solid base from which to really become a, a contributing adult. And, and so that little slice of almost heaven is is that feeling you get when you go out into the wild and and uh, and woolly parts of West Virginia and you breathe deep? Uh, you feel like you're 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 closer to heaven. You're on top of the mountains and you're closer to heaven. And uh, so it's not just the people. It's not just the terrain. It's not just the you know proximity of, to a lot of what's going on in this country, particularly on the East Coast, is really valuable for our state. And, and so that's something that I think in our future is really going to go to our benefit. And that's where people are going to realize, hey, what a great place to live. You know, what's fascinating is uh, we're all realizing that we're doing a Zoom session now, although it's going to be audio for the podcast. Uh, you can live almost anywhere and work in New York City or Chicago. And with new technologies like the Hyperloop, assuming we can get it working uh, in a very effective way, you could literally be to Chicago for a morning commute and back in terms of the direction. We're suddenly starting to see people reevaluate their lifestyle and Mm -hmm. to consider moving to West Virginia for these startups and for the established companies. Uh, you've been all over the focus on economic development for the state and how we attract the next generation of companies here. A little bit your thoughts about what we're doing uniquely as a state that perhaps is not occurring in some of the other states that we're competing with for the best talent. Well, I think really the pandemic has shown us a lot about what you've talked about, the, the, um, the pluses of remote work the uh, the future of remote work and the ability for maybe people to make choices in their life that they really couldn't make before. Uh, I think of I think of young people that have left the state who really yearn to come home, but don't you know can't can't do that because their business may be located elsewhere. Where those kinds of roadblocks are are, are disappearing, and and I think you know we do have roadblocks with our connectivity, and that is something that I've worked on a lot you know, in in the Congress and in the Senate. So that is something, you know, measurable that we can do as a nation, as a state, as a locality to take that roadblock down. But the other thing I think that has been really fun to watch is the way that both West Virginia University and Marshall, but the smaller schools as well, like the University of Charleston or or West Liberty, are trying to educate our uh, young folks into how to be an entrepreneur, 
what it's like to start up, how there are pockets and seeds of growth everywhere. I think at West Virginia University, I think about Vantage Ventures at the business school. I just visited there and learned about, gosh, just three companies uh, that are startups that are One is in an interesting space, which is that name, image, and likeness, which is coming through with our athletes. And um, and how are they, you know, whether we like it or not, it's coming. And so let's find a way for our West Virginia athletes to be able to really market themselves and take advantage because that will obviously attract talent uh, on our on our uh, athletic teams and and that breeds a whole bu- since we you know that breeds a whole bunch of good uh, a good feeling so that you know a former football player got together with a couple others their advantage ventures trying to figure out a good way to help the athletes market themselves or for another one uh, disposing of solar panels and and we know that's something we don't really talk about I'm in the energy space a lot in the Senate we don't really talk about we talk about all the benefits of renewable but you know there's some negatives here and I'm not sure we're really we're not doing the full cycle the full life cycle of this renewable energy and and disposal of some of um, solar panels and other kinds of um, materials is going to be a challenge for us, just like we see with we saw with nuclear. So, you know, there's a young entrepreneur there talking about ways to do that and recycle. So I'm excited about what I see in terms of the tech uh, community in that space. But I think you see it all over the state. And um, I, I think that uh, that's where our future is. And we're transitioning out of an energy state or we're always going to be an energy producing state and we're always going to be important for that. But we've learned through the boom and bust cycles that we have to we can't rely on that. and We have to keep moving forward for the next generation. You know, it's interesting, uh, Shelley, we both grew up at a time that West Virginia was the chemical center of the world. 6,000 right. of the top engineers in Charleston, West Virginia with Carbide, DuPont, uh, Monsanto, et cetera. And the coal mining center of the world with 125,000 well-paid miners. Uh, we got disrupted. We didn't change. And I think right. we all learned that lesson. Uh, how do we stay ahead this time? And I think you've answered it in part. Uh, you first have to have the courage to make a change. But right. how do you compare to our listeners? There's a confidence building in West Virginia. When you first outlined West Virginia becoming a true startup state, creating mm-hmm. jobs, the best place to perhaps work in America, uh, and that blend of the outdoor and the indoor life and in our, mm-hmm. our family growth. How would you convey to people how that's changed in the last three or four years? Because you go to a startup concept at West Virginia University like Vantage Ventures, which was modeled after uh, Station F, the major uh, transition that occurred in France that really led their way to become the startup nation in all of Europe. How do you explain what has suddenly changed and how how can we describe to our listeners that that subtle confidence, the humble confidence Uh, and the fun environment that's now starting to occur in our state? You know, I think it's interesting to watch as we see what Silicon Valley, how how that was developed and and what a hub, I mean, enormous hub of all kinds of innovation and great ideas. And, you know, like attracts like, you know, people who are innovators want to be around other innovators. But I think there is a real push in the nation to look inward uh, to look inward into the talent that uh, resides in that great, you know, uh, middle part of our country, right where West Virginia is. And it's always going to have to be, I think, in pockets of innovation where you can research, 
where you can uh, use your graduate students to uh, to use grants to be able to see. I'll give you another good example of something I saw recently. It's a um, 3D printed uh, digit if you lost your finger that has the movable uh, portions of it. It's perfect proportion to you. And uh, it also costs less than $100. So if you go to Philadelphia to get fitted for a prosthesis or or to California or one of these specialty places, you could be in for like $1,000. This is a, an innovative startup kind of uh, healthcare area that I think uh, West Virginia can own for. And, and so I'm excited about, you know, the ideas. They're not all going to work. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that uh, we need to, we've learned, I think, through the transitions of our, of our uh, economic issues, particularly when I'm speaking about coal. And, you know, we're from the Kanawha Valley. We had a lot of chemicals, we had a lot of coal. We have a lot of natural gas in this state. It's all valuable. But when you see the winds of changing, rather than saying, no, no, it's not going to change. We're not going to change. That's where I think we made our mistake uh, early on. I, I, I can't even probably more than a few times saying, we're always going to be vital. We've always been vital to the power and, and the construction of this country. And we're still going to, you know, we're still going to be that. But instead of instead of saying, no, we want to be part of the solutions. So let's find out. Let's find other materials that maybe coal can be used for. Or let's find other materials on how to um, uh, close cycle methane emissions or something like that. Let's be part of the solution. And and this can this can really stream through all kinds of tech. It can stream through energy, healthcare, education, and so I think we've learned that just saying no isn't going to be the answer. And transitioning is hard, but if we don't if we don't give our ideas to the transition, we're going to get left at the door. And and I think that has happened to us. So now this reconfidence building that we need to do and have done, I think, is really going to pay off for us because we're listening to new ideas. We're making sure that we create economic environments and, and social environments that people are going to want to stay and create from. You know, uh, Shelley, if, if our viewers weren't listening and if they hadn't heard of the introduction, they would think you're a startup CEO uh, uh -huh. in terms of how you think about disruption and how you think about market transitions and dealing with the world the way it is, not the way we wish it was. Uh, one of the toughest issues we face is how do we make this this movement that we're in more inclusive of diversity, especially on the gender side. Right. And as a nation, we've not done a good job here. A little bit your thoughts? Well, you know, before uh, we got on, I wanted to make sure I knew exactly uh, how many women senators we have. We have 24 now. We yes. have not even a quarter of our, our U.S. Senate is women. We've had as many, I think, as 26 recently, but with the vice president leaving, uh, that left a, a bit of a hole there. So, um, you know, it, it, it streams through all, all I, I mean, you see it in the CEO ranks, you see it in the startup ranks, you see it uh, all over that uh, as, as, as we move forward, fewer and fewer women. Uh, I think West Virginia has always had a good history of strong women leadership. I mean, we had... Katherine Johnson, who was a NASA engineer very early in her life. Uh, we have, um, you know, I think we have a, a great history of political leadership 
too. Our, we've had Supreme Court justices and secretaries of state and now a senator. So we're, you know, we're not uh, behind in that in that fashion, but we're still not near where we need to be. And I think what's happened in the pandemic was so many women leaving the, uh, in larger numbers than men leaving the workforce. I think what we've realized is we need some flexibility here. Uh, if we're going to raise families, if we're going to have productive companies and productive workforce, we're going to have to look through a different prism of what's going to work for families. And I think some families, because they were forced to stay home, the children are home, they made choices. And, and in some cases, the woman was the one that decided, I'm going out of the workforce. But I bet there are some families who said, you know what, maybe it's healthier for us as a family to have somebody, you know, have more of a presence at home and, and uh, telecommute. Uh, from home so that somebody can be there when the kids get home or help them with their virtual homework or something like that. Now, I'm not talking sacrifice here. I'm just talking about changing the the paradigm within uh, a two a two uh, um, working family. It's just so difficult. And for single parents, virtually impossible. I don't know how to manage that. So I think we need to also really emphasize the STEM uh, possibilities for women uh, we know that when when young girls get to fifth to eighth grades, they start to lose interest in math and science. You know, we need to keep pushing that out and saying, you can be an engineer, you can be an IT specialist, you can be, you can develop software. This is where the jobs of the future are going to be. And you want to, we want you at the forefront. And I think, you know, we've made, I've worked with some some other women in the Senate to try to make sure uh, that um, Jackie Rosen from uh, Nevada and I've worked on several of these and uh, Amy Klobuchar and I worked on one as well to try to say, look, let's uh, let's focus on the lack of diversity. And it, it's not just women. It's it's racial diversity as well. And, and here, since we're talking about West Virginia and one of the issues, I think West Virginia doesn't have the great diversity racially and ethnically that uh, that a lot of other places have. And so I think this is some, and I think the reason is because we haven't had the jobs. We haven't had the jobs to really attract people. And that's what I hope we do, because I think the richness of diversity of where you live is, uh, is a real plus and it's what people want. They want that. And so that's another magnet, I think, to draw us to this state. I would agree. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to think how to ask this, and and Shelly, you're so uh, crisp on it. You dodge a question you didn't want to ask uh, me to ask you, but if I can can just get it out on the table, what's it really like to be a senator? Uh, <laughs> what do you like about it? What what do they like? What do you dislike about it? Uh, you know, it's it's often nobody asks the question that's most obvious. You're doing something that many people admire tremendously, but what is it? What is it? What well, do you enjoy about it? It's funny. One time, I, my husband Charlie and I were watching uh, some show on TV, and uh, I can't remember what the subject was, but one of the one of the conversations was, "Well, I'm just going to call my senator." You know, like that's such a big deal. And I looked at my husband. And I said, "Yeah, they're just going to call me. I'm a senator." You know, <laughs> and uh, I think sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, you you lose. I never lose sight of the fact that I'm one of a hundred. When I walk onto the, the Senate floor, it is just always to me an inspiration, always. Uh, I felt that about the House. I even felt that about our own West Virginia House of Delegates when I was doing that. I mean, it is an awesome, but to be one of 100 in the most powerful 
country in the world is is something that you, you just don't lose your focus on. Because when I tell you what my day looks like, I'm sure it looks like a lot of people that work hard. We start early in the morning. I try to exercise in the morning because if I don't do it, then I won't get it done. And then I pretty much am 15 minute increments of meetings all day long, committee meetings, um, caucus meetings, leadership meetings. It just, it, it really can be very, very overwhelming. When I said earlier, you know, we all need to learn how to say no. I think, <laughs> I think sometimes as a Senator, it's hard to say no, because you're, you're, you're just innately want to please. I think a political person wants to please and you don't want to say no. So, um, I'm very, very busy. And then on the on the times that um, usually go into the night, uh, but not uh, I try to cut back on that a lot because it's just too exhausting to keep, you know, that kind of a schedule. Um, I've always been really good at um, kind of segmenting my life. So I've got my family life and my business life. I mean, they are inter interconnected. Yes. But when I'm with my family, I'm full out with my family. And as you know, my dad was a political figure. This was a talent he had that I could, even under the biggest strains of leading a state, you know, he would come in that day and you could just see him say, okay, I'm washing that out. Let's go, uh, you know, pick up sticks in the yard or let's go for a drive or let's get some ice cream or play golf or tennis or something. And, and that sort of taught me that, you know, you need to take those times to take the deep breath to sort of take care of yourself so you can re-energize. Um, what, I, what I like the most is, the way you can impact just a single individual or a family. Um, I'll use the uh, Afghanistan situation uh, when we were, we've been approached by people who have had interpreters over there who have worked for them and they've asked for our help to try to get them out. And we actually had some success with that. And, you know, that was obviously a very involved process, but, you know, it, it really makes you feel good that you can impact that person. You can appoint somebody to the, to the Naval Academy that that's going to be one of the general, you know, one of our uh, admirals someday. I mean, it just, it's those kinds of things are extremely fulfilling because I know I'm improving that West Virginia life. And that's the most important. I would say the least thing I like, well, I, three weeks ago, the least thing I liked was the all night voting sessions. Those are pretty brutal. And we had one about three weeks ago. Um, I think the political part of it can sometimes just be very wearing. Obviously, the money raising, which I don't, I'm not as avid about it as some other folks, but that's exhausting, and I, I don't find that to be the most attractive way that I want to spend my day. I mean, I don't mind doing it, and I've been successful, but um, you know, I think in some people's lives, it takes on a, a larger portion of your time than what I've allowed it to do. So that's probably my least favorite. You know, in your comments about uh, on gender and inclusion, you mentioned uh, a number of your your peer senators, half of which were Democrats. Uh, right. You've had the ability to work across the aisle. Uh, how difficult is that getting? Because we see a lot in the media about you know, the parties not talking to each other. Uh, do you think this is going to get better or worse over the next four to six years? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. We just had the whole discussion on infrastructure and that is a bipartisan, 19 Republicans voted for it. I was really sort of the spearheader to this, got it rolling with the president, which was a very interesting experience for me. And, and then a bipartisan group kind of came in. And then in the end, I came back to the group 
and sort of led the charge on the floor to see that we could get it passed, uh, working with amendments and working with all kinds of different members, uh, you know, from different uh, from different states, different parties, people that I've never really interacted with because I don't have committees with them or some other reason. Um, so it can be done. And, and the thing about it is it never gets focused on. I, you know, it's it's a boring story to turn on the TV and say, well, you know, 75 senators agree that we need to plant more trees or something like that. You know, they'd rather say, well, I'm going to have this person besmirch this person. It gets the ratings up and all those kinds of things. It's, so I think that that is a challenge. We don't focus on the positive enough. Um, it is it is very polarized and um, probably more polarized than I've seen it. And so I, I, I don't think it's going to get worse though, because there is a hunger out there among our constituents wanting us to work together. And there's a hunger for each of us as individuals to try to do that. Some are going to always want to take political advantage. And I'm not saying I've never done that. I certainly would in certain areas try to take, you know, the political advantage, uh, when I see it, but not every time. I mean, some people just, that's the only lens they look through and it, it can be frustrating to the rest of us. As you said, I'm a worker bee. I like to get results. So I'd rather have a few wins on the board, but I, you know, otherwise I think it's probably going to be pretty sticky over the next several years. I appreciate the candor. You know, it's, it's a perfect setup, Shelley, for leadership lessons learned. Uh, a little bit about your philosophy on leadership that you could share mm-hmm. with the audience and uh, uh, perhaps what is one lesson learned that might be very appropriate for our listeners, regardless of their occupation, uh, to benefit from a lesson that you've learned. Uh, I've learned uh, myself doing the right thing for too long gets you in as much trouble as doing the <laughs> wrong thing. And I learned that with a terrible dot-com bust in 2000, where it had the, the most popular uh, growth in history of uh, a company at Cisco. And then because I didn't see the 2000 bus come, we got knocked down very hard. I, I learned doing the right thing too long was a mistake. Mm-hmm. A little bit your philosophy about leadership, and I think you've hit on it in a number of your answers. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you were to summarize it for the group, and then maybe one lesson learned that you could share with the listeners that would be useful for them in their future as well. Well, I think, uh, and you probably can't tell this from all the talking I've been doing, but in my view, a good leader is a good listener. Uh, you, if you're going to lead the people, you, people, you have to hear what they're saying to you. That you have to start from where they are, rather than always start from where you are. And uh, I, I think that uh, that is a skill that I've cultivated cultivated and 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 I think that uh, I think that's a good uh, mark of a good leader is somebody who listens uh, to all all different opinions all different sides and then makes makes a decision uh, in terms of what have I learned you know I think I, mean, I got a couple things I guess one of the things I thought of as you as we were saying is you know bad news never gets better over time. And I think that communication is critical for a leader and that if you have to communicate bad things uh, or things that are unpleasant or or even hurtful things, it's better to go ahead and rip the Band-Aid and go ahead and do it 
rather than let it ferment and maybe turn into um, into something else. And you see this at you know at the top levels of every president uh, has had times when they don't communicate. And it really hurts not just them, but it hurts the nation because the nation doesn't know how to react. And, uh, you know, you could say the Afghanistan situation. I think, you know, the president waited a little long under President Trump. The mixed messages I thought that he put forward over COVID were something else that was a communication miss and and could have been a communication plus. So I think good communication and early early indications of if things are going wrong, everybody's human, admit your mistake, move on and try to uh, try to learn from it. When you talk about mistakes, are you more uh, as a leader, a product of the mistakes and how we handle them or more a product of our successes, although clearly successes are more fun to talk about a little bit, your leadership views on that? You know, I think, um, I, I thought about that. I, I think I'm I am more a product, I think, of my success because it gives me more confidence as I move as I move forward. And and I think that um, moving into this, even though you would assume being in a political family, I've had all this experience and I have a lot of self-confidence. Well, you know, in the beginning, not so much. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I I you need to keep building on the confidence. So I think I've been a product of my success. Where I've learned from my failures is instead of blaming somebody else, I think the, the best thing for me to do is to self-analyze and become more self-aware, realize that uh, you know the ownership rests on these shoulders and that I need to, if something has not worked out for me in one way or another, I need to look inward to find out how I can make changes. And I'll tell you a quick story. My son was in um, high school, one of them, I have two sons and a daughter and, uh, I was, um, he wasn't doing what I wanted and, and as his mother. And I said, you know, come on, I'm in Congress, you know, I'm your mother. And, uh, I said, I have a lot of power. You know, I was trying to get him to just react. And he was, he looks at me and he says, mom, you don't have power if you don't know how to use it. (laughs) And I went, Hmm. <laughs> so that's my life lesson from my then 18 year old son. Well, you know, and then, of course, he did what he wanted because <laughs> he got me. <laughs> he did. Well, yeah, and yeah. It's Shalom Perez, the late president of Israel, I learned I knew him for 17 years. And one of the most important lessons he taught me was think like a teenager and <laughs> the new ideas and the approach. Yeah. Maybe a last comment, uh, Shelley, from your side uh, about why West Virginia is going to make this transition to a startup state, creating people coming there, and how it can be a model for the rest of the nation if we do it well. Your thoughts on closing on this? Yeah, I mean, I think West Virginia is at the precipice of such incredible good things. I'm optimistic about where our state can be. And with folks like you, John, uh, helping with all of your expertise in terms of uh, how to do startups, how to network, how to... You know, maximize your your contacts. Uh, it's been a huge help, and I think also the the close uh, growth that we're going to see uh, with the educational institutions is absolutely critical. Uh, and and I think you see the embrace of that at our institutions. But you know, I think also I was able to play a large part and really get off the ground creating our first national park in West Virginia in the New River Gorge, and 
I see that now. This is the first summer that it's we've had uh, that we've had a national park in West Virginia, and it's already paying dividends. So you know the vision part of what what can help I think is really critical, and and then being able to do it. And here's the last thing I'll say about West Virginia, from Virgin Hyperloop to Data Robot to the other uh, folks that have really come into West Virginia on the tech side. The one thing they really like is what we first started with is this concept of West Virginia of all being one big small town. We're all in it together. That that the woman that got her tire fixed, you know, by a complete stranger. They love the fact that they can talk to me and Joe Manchin in the same room. They can get the governor quickly because we're all pushing in the same direction. We're a small state. And that's one of the benefits. And I think that in and of itself will be a real plus as we move forward. And I expect our future leaders to be no different. Well, Senator Capito, I cannot thank you enough uh, for your leadership. Our listeners now understand why I think you're one of the very Mm -hmm. top leaders, regardless of political parties uh, in our country. And why we're so proud that you represent West Virginia, almost heaven, West Virginia. Almost heaven. It means the world to us. I want to thank the uh, listeners uh, for joining us on the podcast and continue to give us feedback about what you like and what we could do better. And I want everybody to be safe. And we'll talk again shortly on the next Chambers Talks uh, session on LinkedIn. Thank you again, Shelley. You're amazing. All right. Thank you. Uh Bye-bye. Bye.